The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. Travel so hard. Trouble so hard, don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Ooh, Lord, ain't my trouble so hard. Ooh, Lord, ain't my trouble so hard. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but and yes, you are listening, and you're listening to a very live broadcast of the Radical Reverend Show. Welcome back, listeners in listener land. And, and first of all, I want to thank you so much for your generous, generous donations to the, the station. We are still accepting them, by the way, where I think 91, 92,000. We want to hit that 100,000 mark. So keep giving. Uh, just go to the website and donate there. Uh, and again, please mention us, a Radical Reverend Show. And of course, we are coming to you in our radical glory today um, with two amazing guests. The first, uh, Helen Winters, an emergency critical care nurse who has worked in downtown Toronto for the past 14 years, bearing witness, as she says, to the downstream effects of public policy on a wide demographic of people. Because if you've been following the news at all, you know we are in a health health care, I was going to say health care, but health care crisis. Helen, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Hello, it's nice to be here. Uh, I think health care crisis uh, pretty well sums it up. <laughs> Just about. So 14 years. Tell me about the difference when you started and what, what it's like now. Oh, massive differences. Um, partly do... Um, uh, to rising housing prices, gentrification of areas, um, population density downtown without the infrastructure in place to take care of people, especially in hospital care. All of the downtown hospitals have seen significant stresses on their, on their resources uh, without, um, without increasing budgets. I, there is that. that. Yeah. yeah, there is that. Um, I, I mean, I, I, as we all do follow the news, um, some almost a, a billion dollars shortfall um, that Ford has not given to hospitals that should have been given. Uh, it has its yeah. effects. Uh, talk about, you know, and, and of course, COVID and the rise of respiratory disease. Talk about that. Oh, the pandemic has been, uh, it's been such a ride. Um, in some ways, it was it was easier for me to be at ground zero instead of at home, um, alone and afraid. I got to be around people. Um, but seeing, uh, especially at the beginning of COVID, seeing long-term care issues right in our faces, uh, it was it was horrible. Uh, neglected elderly people uh, who, as it turns out, as as things have evolved, are being sacrificed. These are human sacrifices. Uh, it's it's very difficult to observe. You're t you're talking, and I'm sure you're mentioning too, um, or referring to um, this new policy of transferring folk 
whether they like it or not, to long-term care out of out of hospital beds, the so-called nasty term, quotes unquote, bed blockers. Has that been your experience? Oh well, here's here's the reality of that. These are these people are getting shoveled uh, to private long-term care homes. This is. Uh, I was recently out driving around Burlington and and all of uh, a number of rural areas. And the number of private nursing homes that have cropped up, they, it just felt like these are these are malls. These are these are horrendous. That was his plan, like the the siphoning of public money into private businesses uh, is is it's open pockets in Ontario. Uh, Bill C seven is being challenged. Uh, as being against charter rights, just as is Bill 24. Like, what are we really seeing here? We see we no longer have a democracy. Well, certainly. Um, uh, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Helen Winter, uh, RN, um, uh, has seen the worst of it for 14 years in nursing in, in downtown Toronto. Um, uh, and we're talking about the crisis in healthcare. Um talked about it as healthcare. Uh, you know, you know it's a crisis when the Red Cross comes into a hospital as if it's a disaster zone. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, over the years, certainly the effect of Mike Harris's, uh, what I consider attempted genocide of mentally ill people uh, has been very apparent. The amount of, of money spent trying to hemorrhage uh, the, the issues at, like at, at the site of bleeding when instead of just going to the original source is exorbitant. Uh, and this is, this is very apparent throughout healthcare. But what we see at the front is we, we can't stop these gaps. Uh, you know, the, the, as Benjamin Tutu says, <laughs> Or Desmond Tutu, there comes a point when we need to stop putting people, pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Well, it doesn't take much to see how they're being thrown in. There have been such shocks over the pandemic. I never thought I would have to stand in a crowd and and shout, "I believe in science," being countered by by protesters outside who we're protesting the existence of science. <laughs> I never thought I would have to argue that I deserve basic charter rights as being in a female-dominated profession, but there I was. Well, first of all, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone you've served for 14 years. I mean, it's a phenomenal. Thank you. I mean, you've been truly on the front lines of, of it all. Um, and again, talking about healthcare here on the Radical Reverend Show and, and the state in our province, um, I was sharing with a friend that, uh, you know, and I still have a raspy voice because of it, but um, <laughs> that I had some kind of respiratory thing um, and was quite sick and then got better. But in the middle of being quite sick, thought, well, you know, it's the kind of thing, well, might have morphed into pneumonia. I don't know. I have the temperature and, you know, some of the symptoms. Um, normally, um, or I, for most of my life, I would have automatically gone to an emergency ward just to get it checked out. And I thought, there's no way I can do that. I mean, 
there's a you know hour hours of long wait, and then you're in a in a place where you're most likely going to get sicker. I mean, how did we get here, Helen? Talking to Helen Winter here, uh, uh, RN, and and uh, someone who has been on the front lines. Well, first of all, I I do want to just add this in here. We have all paid for a good health care system, and we all deserve good health care. If anybody needs to come to the hospital or can't access medical care, please come. We still need to try for a healthy Ontario. We're doing our best, but, but if people need care, please. There's been some terrible situations with people being afraid to come to Emerge. You know, and there's a lot of people come to Emerge who don't need to be, but no matter what, we are entitled to health care. Um, how we got here, this has been this is being um, engineered from the beginning. This was Ford's plan. Uh, the the decimation of health care has has been going on. It started uh, like well, since he started his his first term, uh, you know, he cut. million in 2020 from public health and then another 14.1 million in in 2022. Like this is, this is not sustainable. Uh, Lives. We are, I see us right now. We are in a civil war. The crisis is now the damage that has been done cannot be undone. All we can do is stop the hemorrhage, but we are in grave danger. What I see coming uh, coming to fruition is this is actually a very far right social order that's being imposed, and lives are at stake. The suffering, the unbearable and unnecessary suffering that is happening amongst elderly people, children unable to to access health care. There's not beds when they're sick. It's it's. I never thought that Ontario would get to where we are, but we are. Is there a face when you describe that in general terms? Is is there a case of face that you think of, Helen, that kind of sticks in your sticks in your mind um, that is representative of what you're describing? Um, uh, I you know what? There's so many triggering situations for anybody listening. I'm hesitant to give mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. details um, along that line. I'm very uh, it's very sad for me that we really haven't had any uh, any kind of um, acknowledgement or closure for all the deaths that have been lost, uh, all the lives that have been lost in COVID. Uh, we are a nation that is grieving, and the, but the trauma continues. Um, I think the biggest shock for all of us uh, in healthcare was when people didn't show up to vote. That was that was when we lost democracy because we are seeing uh, a lack of of rights. Our, we're seeing our free and democratic rights taken away. The fact that I'm supposed to be excited that oh good, an Ontario court um, has has deemed Bill 124, which limits my salary to under one percent. Um, I'm supposed to be excited about that. How, like, this is ridiculous. The average salary that that affected was $68,000 for public service workers. Uh, But here we are uh, fighting for free and democratic rights. 
Speaking here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you just tuned in to um, Helen Winter, who is an RN and has worked on the front lines for 14 years. And again, thank you for doing that. You mentioned um, the Ford government lost on appeal Bill 124, which limited um, healthcare workers, frontline workers, uh, yeah. nurses in particular, to 1% increases um, at a time um, when more male-dominated professions, if we can cite police, um, got double-digit increases. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and not to make matters worse, uh, just so you, you know out there in listener land, uh, brought in temporary agencies with temporary nurses who were being paid more than staff nursing. Talk about that. What does that feel like when you walk into work and, uh, and that happens? Um, first of all, no, uh, I will not throw any shade on anybody who's working agency because all of us are just trying to get by. Mm -hmm. However, these are your tax dollars. Mm -hmm. These are your tax dollars. So Doug Ford, instead of paying nurses a suitable increase, is willing for hospitals to pay agencies up to $140 an hour. There's agency, some units are, are staffed fully with agency nurses. Because the money, the agencies take a huge cut. So money is being funneled directly to businesses. How is this not outrageous for people? Even like Bill 24 was called, uh, he, his excuse for not overturning it in 2021 was that there was a projected $13 billion deficit. And yet, there turns out to be a $2 billion surplus. So either Stephen Lecce did the math, or this is lies. Sylvia Jones continues to say, there is no problem. There is no nursing shortage. Well, we have the lowest per capita nurse to patient rate, nurse to uh, per capita rate in Canada. So when do we start calling this blatant propaganda instead of just lies? Well, clearly the agenda here, and I don't think uh, any conservative, and I have to say it's so sad um, because I you know, was in politics for 12 years to, to see, I mean, Sylvia Jones is not a stupid woman, and to see what what women like her and Christine Elliott, you know, clapping when, you know, Ford gets up and... Uh, it's it's sad because he was, these are people I worked with. And anyway, one one hopes for one's one's uh, other humans, uh, even in the political sphere. Um, but this is this is a situation, obviously, that has been engineered, as you say, Helen, um, to privatize. So the yeah. aim is and we're seeing that happening now. More and more testing is being charged for um, agency nurses, private long term care. Uh, and private long-term care, we should say, um, many ex-conservatives, including Mike Harris, sit on those boards. Um, so this is privatizing uh, right across the healthcare, uh, because you know if you make the system dysfunctional by underfunding it, <clears throat> the next thing you do is, of course, sell it sell it off. Um, is is do you see that happening? Oh, absolutely. And I, as I say, I consider us to be in a civil war right now because the war is against the people. Lives are meaningless to this government. And the mandate of private care is to deliver service, minimum service for maximum profit. But public health care is to protect and improve the health of people in their communities. 
So what are we looking at? We're looking at elderly people who can only be at home if a PSW looks in on them. The number of PSWs who don't show up means like send elderly people into hospital because they need their medication. They need all sorts of things. Like it's public health care is it is the symptom of a much deeper problem. I just where's the rage? The streets were filled with with people protesting at the very idea of wearing a mask. Oh, this isn't democracy. Where is that rage? Why aren't people angry? You're being lied to. You are being ripped off. Where is the anger? Well, there's a lot of, as we know, disinformation out there about what, you know, what helps, what doesn't. Uh, And, of course, that fuels the privatization agenda, ultimately. Um, uh, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean, out there in, in listener land, do we really want, and it's it's a good question to ask, do we really want American-style health care where, you know, unless you've got a really good insurance program, and even if you do, it's costly, even if you have a good one, uh, I, you know, uh, it's, you know, if you don't have one, good luck. Um, uh, I mean, I remember it's old now, but remember that f- the film Sicko, you know, the Michael yeah. Moore expose, yeah. um, you know, or people, you know, stitching up their own wounds and things. I mean, this is this is American style healthcare, the most expensive and least effective, probably, well, for sure, in the in the Western world. <clears throat> um, so, 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 talk about the mood among nurses because I know that um, you know fought back against Bill One Twenty Four, won that appeal. Um, you can't really go on strike um, legally, but but what is happening? What, what's happening in the rank and file in your association? What's the um, mood? You know, we're we're just getting by day to day. We're just getting through day to day. Certainly, there's a resilient strength. Um, that has that is much more conscious at this point. We take care of each other. We watch out for each other uh, because we do burn out, and we sometimes we just don't even notice. But we take care of each other. Uh, it's teamwork. It has to be. It has to be. There's times when I my my I'll be sitting there alone trying to figure out like oh why am I so behind oh because two years ago there were six people doing what I'm supposed to do solo now uh, there just aren't enough nurses and there's also not enough money being put into staffing uh, even if they're, the, the, the nursing crisis is not going to fix itself with private health care it's still going to be there I'm not sure what the plan is there doesn't seem to be one uh, we can't strike. However, Ford is appealing with taxpayer money, uh, the Supreme Court ruling. So the possible solution would be a public service and a general labor strike that would shut down Ontario. We However, almost we almost saw yeah. that with a QP strike. Um, yeah, I certainly was out, and we did a clip from from there on this show. Um, what about the, you know Sylvia Jones and Ford's you know response, which is oh we poured money into hospitals, we're building new hospitals. What do you? No, they what poured you money. They poured money into developers' hands, and there's nobody to staff those hospital beds. 
This is all. This is just take the money and run. There is no future for these policies. This is take the money and run. Uh, and not only well, healthcare and education. We're hand in hand. Education. Teachers are are frontline workers of a different kind. Like there's, if we can't keep children, elderly, vulnerable, working class, and middle class people safe in Ontario, what are we doing? The argument that oh, it's going to cost eight billion to uh, to restore appropriate wages to female-dominated professions. Well, if if you can't afford to give us our constitutional rights, then you can't afford. We can't afford to have you in office. I think there's a lot of people thinking, "What have I done?" Only 18% of Ontario voted for Ford. He does not have a majority, but it's the people who didn't vote, who did not do their civic duty, who are at fault here. And I'm quite sure, I would hope, that they're thinking, darn, <laughs> what have I done? Speaking to uh, uh, nurse uh, Helen Winter, <clears throat> who, um, who's been 14 years on the front lines working for us, uh, Helen, one of the bits of news that came out from Queen's Park is uh, the Auditor General's report that had lots of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And one of the pieces in it was uh, was something that I had heard before, but that she confirmed, which was that during the pandemic, when vaccine clinics were up and running constantly, that doctors were being paid um, some $500 or five times as much as nurses to administer vaccines um, and uh, and even more in, in comparison to pharmacists. Um, you know, and, and this, you know, I've, I've heard from many doctors and certainly doctors have been very vocal about how unfair that is and have come uh, yeah. come in, in support of, of nursing staff. But, I mean, this is pretty blatant. Um you know, what's what's been the, the nursing reaction to that? Well, it, we knew at the time it was going on, and it was unjust. Uh, I am quite fortunate. I work with a fabulous group of doctors who are very supportive, and they've been standing up there fighting with us. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. But also, it is, it is so cost-inefficient. Like, why aren't people upset? I just don't understand. Where's the rage? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and <clears throat> focusing specifically on female-dominated professions while giving, well, first of all, Ford giving himself and his friends high raises. Repeatedly, the male professions are getting exorbitant raises. But when the civil rights of one group are challenged, so are the rights of all. What are people waiting for? Speaking I to don't Helen, understand. <laughs> I, I, we hear that. Speaking to Helen Winter, her nurse, um, and thank you for the, the shout out. So please, folks out there, do your civic duty, uh, vote, but you don't have to wait till the next election. You can actually call your conservative uh, MPPs and let them know how you feel about this. Um, I think just about everybody else, other than the conservative 
MPPs has been pretty vocal about it at Queen's Park, but you need to, especially if you're in a conservative riding, please let them know uh, about how you feel about the state of our health care in Ontario. I mean, this is unprecedented. Um, and, and, you know, it's not going to get any better un unless we protest. So just we have just a few minutes left, Helen, but I wanted to ask you, why do you keep doing it? Um, because nurses are different people. We really are. Uh, being on the front lines, being seeing humanity up close, uh, I'm not going to call it calling because we are nuns. We are not nuns. Like we're not, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not martyrs. But uh, I love the balance of arts and science. I love the human arts balanced with science. Uh, the scientific knowledge we need to do our jobs at the front is is demanding and ever changing. Uh, balancing that with with human interactions, like the vernacular embrace of medicine and technologies, people's interactions with their bodies, patient-centered care. It's it's very rewarding. Uh, I do enjoy my job. I just don't enjoy the politics. <laughs> so, so, so you are the Minister of Health. How are we going to turn this around? What needs to happen? Uh, we need to stop the hemorrhaging of money to private corporations and to private business people. We need the money that people have paid for their taxes for health care to actually go to health care and to the front lines. That's the most important thing at this point. So no private long-term care, public long-term care? Nope, not at all. Centralized health care to stop each hospital from having to act as a private corporation. And also federal funding needs to step up to what it was. It used to be 35%, and it's dwindled down to 22 So we need, we need federal government to start supporting public health care. They can't do that while we have a government that hoards money given. That's not going to happen, but we do need a mutual commitment because this defines who we are as a society. Public health care and education is the cornerstone of equality. And if we really support equality, then we need to start showing it. Well, here's to hoping that he loses on appeal, um, Bill 24, uh, at the provincial level. He probably will. He's lost every single court case that he's engaged with. I think it's 15 now. Um, but by the way, um, out there, it's your tax dollars he's using to, to fight on. So um, let let your conservative MPP know that too. Um, thank you, Helen Winter, so much for being on the, on the Radical Reverend Show uh, and telling us what it's like on the front lines. And just uh, thank you again for what you do and, uh, and pass it on. Um, uh, we out here who need you are appreciative and, uh, you know, uh, understand what's happening. And uh, yeah, um, don't let those protesters outside uh, get you down. There's a whole lot more of us than of them. And yes, we believe in science here on the, on the Radical Reverend Show and in CIUT generally. So take care, Helen, uh, and, uh, and be well. Thank you so much. We're going to take a bit of a break now, a musical break, and here's some station ID, and we will be back in a moment on the Radical Reverend Show.
CIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. And we are back here on the Radical Reverend Show, your host, Sherry DeNovo, uh, and a change, of course, for the second part of the, the show today. Uh, something that's, that's equally troubling uh, as perhaps the decay of our healthcare system, uh, but something is a lot, lot older. We're going to talk about uh, anti-Semitism and the rise of anti-Semitism. And to help us with that is Aaron Rotenberg. Um, among his many leadership endeavors, uh, Aaron is a spiritual leader of Annex Schul and also a rabbinical student at Aleph. Uh, he also spends his summer as the educational manager of Heart to Heart, which is a summer camp program for both Jewish and Palestinian teens. Aaron, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. So great to be here with you, Reverend DeNovo. So, so tell us, I mean, you know, first of all, there was the Kanye West. I mean, not first of all, <laughs> anti-Semitism mm-hmm. has been with us for a long, long time, as we know. Um, but the rise of it now seems to me... Um, shocking. Uh, I, I was just looking, uh, you know, through social media feeds and, you know, saw uh, a, a demonstration outside of a drag lunch um, where where literal uh, Nazi flags are being flown and um, where fascist salutes are being used. And I kind of passed this on and said, can we call it fascism now? Um, so, so these are images that um, although far from new, uh, seem to be on the rise. Am I right? So I appreciate you uh, noticing the, the long history of anti-Semitism. And it seems definitely troubling that it's more visible, which is, I think, probably how I would relate to it these days. Um, and I feel like in some ways it uh, hits me differently when right, I also see these images that are coming out on the news and like in some ways experiencing it like closer to home. Um, But I also sort of think that it's been in the background and there's just feels like things in the air and people that are, uh, I mean, you mentioned Kanye and people that seem to be 
feel uh, emboldened to maybe share some of these uh, troubling views more publicly. Um, and I feel sad and scared that that seems to be building and gaining momentum. Where do you think this is, is coming from? What's what's behind this? Um, my strong belief um, is that anti-Semitism is uh, part of the milieu of uh, the white supremacy uh, that is underlying a lot of the roots of our society here in uh, this place that we call Canada. Um, and it's this insidious piece that works in combination with race, racism and fear of outsiders and difference. Um, and uh, lots of, it's tied in with lots of root issues uh, in our society and just functions a little bit differently, um, which is to say sometimes it's harder to see because it often comes up in a cyclical way, which is, I think, part of what's happening at the moment, that it uh, comes in waves. I mean, certainly it seems emboldened. I'm thinking about, um, you know, I'm like many on Twitter still, um, <laughs> despite new new ownership there. Um, and there has been uh, a change uh, in the ownership there that, uh, you know, is no longer going to be, you know, uh, deleting, let's say, some tweets that might have been deleted before. Does this concern you? This must concern you. Um. Yeah, I, I would want uh, there to be some uh, better oversight in places like Twitter. And I think what we've been seeing also is that when more people feel emboldened to speak out on Twitter, that that does spill over uh, into the way people feel like they can act and respond in the real, real world, which has uh, yeah more direct and immediate impacts on people. Um, and maybe just to, like, I'm... I'm somebody who wears uh, a yarmulke, like a head covering, so I'm visibly Jewish out there in Toronto. Um, and I haven't experienced people commenting in a negative way so much. Um, but this past uh, Rosh Hashanah in the fall, uh, my community has been doing our services outside uh, since COVID. And we were at a park near a school this year, and some students like felt that they could shout out some comments that were really inappropriate and uh, anti-Semitic in the middle of Rosh Hashanah services when we're all uh, being visibly Jewish out there in the park. And it feels like where, like, to think about where these ideas come from and what makes like high school students feel like they could could say these things, even if maybe it's not like deeply seated. But, uh, yeah, the fact that they're floating around and out there in dialogue on social media is definitely worrying for me. Speaking here to Aaron Rotenberg, who is a rabbinical student um, and also spiritual leader of the Annex Shul. And you're speaking about the Annex. You're speaking about a place that's close to University of Toronto, um, mm -hmm. presumably a place of higher education and where that kind of action wouldn't happen. Um, 
how shocking. What was the reaction of your congregants when you were conducting services? What to the to the taunts that were coming? Yeah. So somebody from the community went over and and spoke to these teens, and the response that this person who went to check in on them got was that everybody denied it and said, "Oh no, 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 it wasn't me." Was some everybody pointed to somebody else and uh, and they went somewhere else. So nobody took responsibility. And this person who I spoke to later, um, who was actually part of a, a class that we ended up running recently, um, trying to think more deeply about anti-Semitism uh, here in Canada, um, was telling me that, like, he was trying to explain like the seriousness of relating to. Jews in this way, and he was saying that it wasn't really taken seriously. And I think that also, maybe it's part of an issue that I I feel also in some ways sympathetic to, because I think growing up uh, here in Toronto, I think I also felt like, oh, maybe anti-Semitism isn't something uh, that I really need to worry about. It's not really around so much, and I think it's not taken seriously Right, sometimes even inside the community, um, but I think that we're seeing, right, especially uh, in these last few years, right, that there are like attacks in synagogues that these uh, words of hate also can become, right, actions of violence. Speaking to Aaron Rotenberg here, um, spiritual leader of Anik Shul and uh, rabbinical student uh, about anti-Semitism. And, uh, and so, Aaron, uh, I mean, uh, certainly this is evident in, you know, some, <laughs> some you know, and Kanye's, uh, to go back to Kanye West and, and that, I mean, he's lost sponsors, there, there have been ramifications um, for what's been said, but I mean, to me, this also, mm -hmm. and, and to many, um, speaks of there's some failing in our educational system. And you you teach a course on anti-Semitism, so so I mean, uh, surely in every school, in every curriculum, we are being taught about the Holocaust, the Shoah, and we're taught about the effects of this. And yet, even in the convoy in Ottawa, there were there were Nazi flags flying. Um, where where are we lack? What are we not doing that we should be doing? Yeah, I, this is a great question, and I think that having more education uh, around anti-Semitism is important to have in society more broadly, um, and that it's not only taught as there was this history of the Holocaust or the Shoah, and that's behind us now. Um, that's like one example of how things came out in like a, right, genocidal, like dark moment of history. Um, but to understand that those like sentiments and that that hate still, still exists. Um, so I think that it is important to bring, to bring to schools and I think that there's also right the question of how questions of Israel Palestine are tied up in this, um, and it sometimes makes it feel like a topic that's sticky because it uh, is a sometimes ties in with political things that uh, 
are complicated too. And I think that it's important for us to not be too bogged down in not wanting to talk about Israel-Palestine, that we don't end up talking about anti-Semitism and addressing the ways that it shows up, both related to discussions around Israel-Palestine and separate from that. Now, you um, you run Heart to Heart, which is a summer camp program for Jewish and Palestinian teens. Talk about mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, so it's a shared society building program that uh, I've been uh, working working with for a number of years now, where we bring uh, teenagers from uh, the Triangle Wadi Ara region in northern Israel. Um, to a summer camp at Camp Shomriya, just outside of Ottawa and Perth, Ontario, for the summer. Um, and we have right, these participants that are 15 and 16 that live very close to each other in uh, Arab towns and Jewish villages that don't interact, and take them out of the society that they're that they're living in, where there's a lot of tension and lack of interaction, and have them uh, get to talk about some of these issues that divide them in a different location at a summer camp, uh, at a summer camp here. And, and, that's, and mm-hmm. that's so fascinating. So what comes up? What, what happens there? Yeah. And so we get to talk about things like, uh, biases that we hold, um, and right. Noticing and appreciating difference and also noticing, uh, power imbalances and how, uh, the different ways that we view each other uh, also affect different communities in different ways. Um, so there's tensions also that come up and that we right, get to experience when we read an anthem that feels like it's uh, pushing out one of our identity groups. And uh, people get to share feelings of hurt and frustration. And uh, part of the like educational framework is that we're in a supportive container um, where we can like keep coming back and checking in on each other. And then thinking about how this relates to anti-Semitism, I feel like a lot, a lot of the educational work that I see happening kind of happens in a, a one-off sort of way. And at least in the course that I've been working on, which is, has been framed for uh, people who identify as Jewish. So it's an, an internal facing course, but it feels like the depth that we're able to get to in like an ongoing, more uh, emotionally held context has felt very important both in work with teens from Israel and Palestine and uh, doing deep emotional work around uh, oppression. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm speaking to Aaron Rotenberg here, who is, uh, again, spiritual leader of Annex Shul and a rabbinical student uh, about anti-Semitism and its rise, or certainly its more visible, um, the more visible aspect of it that that seems to be to us recent. Um, uh, now, within you know, within the Jewish community, within your shul um, and the folk that you minister with, uh, uh, you know, have there have has has there been in in their experience a kind of rise of what they've experienced as anti-Semitism? We're speaking about Toronto now and Toronto people. Um, we see it on the news. We see it from other places. Is it here? Yeah. So there is a sense that it is around and more prevalent and visible. 
um, right, that there are, there have been and are ongoing like incidents of uh, vandalism with swastikas and things like that of that nature on uh, Jewish communal synagogues and gathering spaces. Uh, so that is coming up and I think has been reported reported on more frequently. And also in the past year, there's been incidents in the TDSB of students doing a Hitler salute around to intimidate a teacher uh, who is Jewish. There are things that feel like they're would have not been as, again, as like uh, public or visible, I think, uh, previously. So I think there's like sensitivity around that. And the Jewish community also like has a lot of, I think, trauma that's carried on from like many generations of anti-Semitism coming up in various forms. Um, so there's definitely like a sense of concern. And I think work that I think also the Jewish community uh, is trying to do that I think that I'm, you know, for myself, thinking of how to do um, as somebody who comes from uh, a family who's lost many relatives in the Shoah and the Holocaust. But there's a sense of when these, like, threats come up to want to, like, really close down and think, oh, we need to really, like, make sure that we're protected and that everybody's uh, knows that this is happening and uh, needs to take a stand against it. And I think that there's also important work that we need to do in, like, reaching out to other communities and to, like, seeing the intersections of these various kinds of uh, oppression that affects that affect so many of us. Uh, which is to say that also some of the things that are coming up around incidents with Kanye and folks in the black community, right, I think that there's sometimes a response to saying, oh, like, that's, this is coming from a community that we see as against us. And I think that it's really important for for Jews and people who are also facing oppression and racism uh, to not let, like, this framing divide us and push us away, but uh, to see how, again, that it's this uh, specter of white supremacy that is existing in the background that's causing these separations between our communities to to take root. Um, of course, and, and I, I love that you make that link. Uh, and certainly, you know, we're speaking as settlers here on indige indigenous uh, land, um, that's mm -hmm. much of which has not been ceded. We have our own racism here in Canada that we are uh, born into. Um, and, uh, of course, also anti-black racism, too. That's part of the fabric of, of our, our reality. Um, it, in which anti-Semitism happens. I I couldn't, as, you, as we were talking about Kanye, I, I do have to shout out, I mean, there's, then there's Drake, right? <laughs> so so it's, not, it's not, you know, uh, there are all, many alternatives here um, uh, as well. Uh, but yeah. that link with um, racism generally and white supremacy generally and the rise of this, and we certainly see it south of the border, there's no question, but we also see it here. Um, I, I think here, and I want to give a shout out to a friend, uh, Dr. Neely Kaplan-Mirth, who's been on the show several times. In fact, we were sort of hoping we could get her on today, but she's with patients. Um, uh, that's her job. But one of the interesting 
interesting things that came out um, and that maybe ties these two segments together. We were talking with a nurse about the problems in the healthcare uh, system right now in Ontario is that uh, uh, Nilly was very, very adamant about vaccination, about masking, about mandates. Um, but the, the pushback was not, you know, from people who didn't think vaccines were necessary and had problems with masks and mandates. It was also the fact that she was Jewish. Um, this this was really bizarre, and this was happening, you know, kind of in real time on on Twitter, um, in in a way that she actually had to call the police and and you know uh, talk about hate crimes. Um, uh, you know, because people had their names on these things and they weren't even trying to hide it. Um, uh, you know, this this seems to me, and this is in Ontario, this isn't, you know, anywhere else in the world. This seems to me, um, now is this, and it's clearly not just social media because they're, they're not anonymous, they're using their real names um, and feel empowered to do it. Um, so... Um, you know, hopefully this is just symptomatic. Um, but uh, I, I guess the last question, yeah. I have one for you, because mm -hmm. we will have to wrap up, is um, what should we who are not Jewish be doing about this? What should we be doing? Yeah, it's very upsetting to hear about uh, Nellie and these uh, anti-Semitic experiences that she's mm -hmm. having. Um, and I appreciate the question of what, what can people be doing? I think learning about anti-Semitism and knowing about how it's functioning in society. And uh, I think deepening connections with Jews and Jewish community feels like the most important thing to uh, yeah, have a, a sense of what Jewish people and what Jewish life is like, uh, not just from hearsay or from things that one is encountering in social media. Um, I think there's lots of different ways to interact with Jewish community. Um, both through cultural and communal events and also through like religious celebrations and to yeah, find ways to connect uh, locally and to be curious in those connections. Um, well, thank you so much. I've been speaking to Aaron Rotenberg, who is a spiritual director at Annex Schul and a rabbinical student about um, the apparent rise of anti-Semitism. I'm still going to say I see it rising. Uh, I, I'm sure, you know, it's been there and of course, it's been there for millennia. Um, one of the things we can do, and I'm speaking as a Christian minister now, is um, coming into the to high holy days for both of us, um, um, is to remember that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about a Jew. <laughs> I'll just say that in closing, um, and uh, uh, and yeah, and move from there. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the Radical Reverend Show. And, uh, and thank you for the work that you do. Hopefully um, your courses inspire others. And hopefully there are people out there listening who are thinking about what's happening in Toronto District School Board and other places. And, uh, and remember, do not be silent. Do not be silent. Thanks, Aaron. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Reverend DeNovo. And to all of you out there in listener land, uh, please keep your comments and questions coming. We love to hear from you. I always respond. You can, I'm all over social media, Sherry DeNovo, so you can hit me there. Um, uh, and of course, uh, reactions to this show are welcome. And a final reminder, the fundraising campaign is still ongoing. So please, if you like what you hear and you want another uh, not just 35 years of alternative radio, but more years of alternative radio, please consider contributing. And it's easy to do. Just go to the website. Till the next time, 
on the Radical Reverend Show.